so they just meant for the musicians that were playing to leave space for silence. And so the word comes up three times in this psalm. So I'm going to read a bit, and then we'll pause just for silence, just to listen. Uh, and then once I've read, Stuart will come in and minister. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of need. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Uh, never, I think, in my lifetime, has that particular psalm seemed more pertinent. No, can't do this. <laughs> I can't. Because I'm looking, you can't see it, but I'm looking out, and it's out of line, and that's, that's all I could think about, was that's out of line. And it's not. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Where's my head? I forgot my notes. So, I'll try and rattle through them as quickly as I can. Not really. We were talking, John and I, a little bit earlier um, and said, trouble is, when you let God do it, uh, it could be two minutes, 
It could be 20 minutes, it could be two hours, so I hope none of you got anything on in the oven that might end up getting burnt. Number one, I want to mention to you, this is not a sermon. It is resolutely not a sermon. But I will quote a couple of uh, lines from the Bible by way of illustration. If you want to grab a Bible now, go and quickly do so. But they're only going to be short bits. So by the time you've actually found the page that I've mentioned, I've just finished. <laughs> so that's, it's not really much point. Um, it's not really a testimony either. Because... Um, It's more of an experiential thing. When John and I were talking about this a few days ago, we coined a word which was semestimony. That one of these portmanteaus, you just shove the two words together. And it, it sort of works, except that I, I, I wanted something a little bit more uh, accurate about it, so it's a chat. <laughs> Would be a fireside chat in the middle of summer. Um, and as far as uh, that's concerned, I think it's rude of me not to have introduced myself anyway. I know John's mentioned, but for those of you that don't know me, my name is Stuart. For those of you that know me, my name is Stuart. Um, and that's really all that you need to know other than the fact that A, I'm a rubbish Christian, and B, I've been through quite a lot in the last year that has taught me an enormous amount. So, a little bit of background to things uh, that uh, happened. So, um, notwithstanding COVID, uh, I was busier than I had been for a very, very long time professionally, running around like a headless chicken. The kids are getting older. Ellen's going, went into sixth form. Tom, uh, uh, my older child, Tom, my boy, was uh, starting uh, an apprenticeship with uh, a garage down on Newport Road doing motor mechanics. Um, he uh, wasn't driving at that point. Ellen hasn't uh, yet uh, passed her test, but she will do, won't she, dear? And um, so I was uh, Mr. Dad's taxi, especially as we went into the autumn and it's raining or whatever. So I'm running around doing loads and loads of stuff. Um, and in the meantime... I'm not leaving much space for anything else. I'm not leaving any downtime for quality time with the family, but I'm certainly not leaving any space for communion with God, for talking with Jesus, for prayer. I'm fitting prayer in, but it snatches here and there. So, uh, end of November, I go for my booster jab for COVID. Uh, and it uh, was a Moderna one. And um, the Moderna one, you may recall, because we're all experts on this now, aren't we? 
you may recall that the Moderna one was the one that's got the highest risk of you having a bit of an adverse effect. And I was in bed for three days afterwards. And I came up, got up, got out of bed, absolutely feeling all right. That evening, phoned my friend up and said, you know what, because we get together every Thursday, let's get together. Drove over to Penalfa, had a really lovely evening, drove back at about 11 o'clock at night, and I started to cough. Nothing major, just... <coughs> Wouldn't stop it. And by the time I got home, the cough wasn't any worse. But every time I coughed, it was like I had a broken rib or someone had stabbed me. It was really painful. So I went to bed, didn't sleep. Captain for a couple of nights. In the end, my wife Joe took the ball by the horns and said, Right, out of ours, GP, let's get down there. Went down there. I'm going to try and compress all of this now because it's quite boring. Get down there, they run tests, they give me a letter, they said, we think it's a good idea you go to the Heath. So I went straight up to the Heath and uh, I handed my letter in and I thought, oh, they'll call me in a few minutes, sit down with my phone, go to play a few, go, Mr. Aldry. And I thought, that was quick. There's quite a few people in here. And the next thing I knew, I was being wheeled through, wheeled. I was in a wheelchair. I hadn't been. I was being wheeled through into the resuscitation unit. That's good. You won't go into a resuscitation. And I jokingly said to the porter, Crikey, you don't think I'm going to die, do you? And he said, no, it's only because that's where all the machinery is. These things you find out about after the event. So anyway, um, there I am in hospital, turned up in the clothes that I was wearing and I'm having tests run, I'm having stuff in that arm, I've got stuff in that arm. Uh, I've, they're taking blood tests every 20 minutes. They've got uh, one of those oxygen things up your nose. You know, they stick it, not the full mask, they just stick the oxygen up your nose because they say, oh, your oxygen saturation's a little bit on the low side. And... Um, I'm thinking, I can't get a signal, I can't tell Joe that I'm here at, at the moment. And the next thing, uh, oh, we've got a room for you now. So I was, what, well, I'm staying in. No one said I was staying in. They said, yeah, we think you'd better stay in. So I had this room, absolutely lovely, and there I was with one gap in the meantime over Christmas for the next two months. So it turned out that I had pneumonia, pleurisy, and diuretic ketone acidosis. Anyone heard of that last one? So basically, my bloods had gone rocketing up because of the infection, and it was turning my blood to acid. Now, I'm only going to say this by way of illustration. I don't want sympathy. I don't want you saying, oh, oh, thank goodness for that, or whatever. I'm just by way of illustration. After I came out, I went to the outpatient, uh, to the consultant's outpatient appointment, and he said to me, when you went into hospital, how did you get there? And I said, my wife dropped me off, and I walked in. And he said, your infection marker levels were so high, I would have expected you to have been wheeled in unconscious with an oxygen mask on you. And I said, but actually, apart from the cough, I felt fine. He said, you're stronger than you look then. 
So, <laughs> why am I telling you all this? Because for two months, more than two months, because even after I came, they gave me COVID. But I didn't notice it. Because basically, the pneumonia said, no, nah, no, sorry. I mean, you can stay in that corner over there, but you ain't doing anything. We've got him. So I've got uh, COVID by the time I come out, so I have to self-isolate anyway, and I've also got a convalesce, so I'm sitting up in uh, my room um, reading and doing very little else for a good another three weeks after I came out. And what did that do? Well, it stopped me in my tracks. And that's the point. I'd spent years building up a business, raising a family, running around, doing stuff, fitting God in where I could, praying, doing stuff and more stuff and getting stuff done and not getting to bed. I'd, I'd be, I still do occasionally, I try and avoid it, sitting on my computer at half past one in the morning because I had documentation I wanted to get out and wanted to hit the post the following day. So when I was praying, it was like, hello God, it's me, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, great, I've just got to go and do something now, catch you soon. That's basically what my prayer life came down to. And God's standing there going, uh, yeah, hi. I, I, yeah, I just wanted to... He didn't get a chance to say a word. Or at least he said everything he wanted to say. But it was as if he was in a small box room 50 yards away in another building. And I could hear some vague thing in the background. I didn't actually know what he was saying. And what did being in hospital make me do? Joe was allowed in twice. Uh, the other visitor I, had, I actually saw quite a lot of was Yale. Because <laughs> she's a paramedic. So she was bringing stuff in, like Diet Coke. And things like, which is brilliant, little treats, um, and books, and then Joe would give her clean clothes and whatever. She was an absolute lifesaver, and I have thanked her, but thank her again, Tim. And um, apart from that, and the nurses coming in, sharp scratch, every 20 minutes, and it, all the figures came back down into line, but they were keeping me in there. I was able to be still. Not only that, finally, I was able to hear that he was saying something to me. Isaiah 22, 2, 2 to 3. If you want to turn to it, but I'm only putting in a short reference. Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches, the fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. So I was praying 
up until that point. I was praying and praying and praying. And um, I weren't hearing him. I weren't listening to him. He had loads of things he wanted to say to me, but I just didn't have time. Didn't have time to listen to what he wanted to say. I was praying, wasn't I? I was talking to him. I was sharing me with him. And he had stuff he needed to say to me. And I just, sorry, I'll be back tomorrow. So what I want to do just this moment now is take half a minute. Let's just see for a moment if we're actually hearing him. Just a bit of silence. Just to give him a bit of space to talk to you. And he did talk to me. And he talked to me uh, quite a lot. And you know what? He talked to me even when I didn't talk to him first. Which is the way that I'm used to thinking about these things. I'd pray. And if you got a chance to get a word in edgeways, he'd come back to me. But I didn't. I'd be sitting there, sitting on the edge of my bed with wires coming out. You know, if I had a glass of water, I'd have sprung leaks. <laughs> wires coming out of me. And um, for ages afterwards, I kept finding those little sticky things that they put the wires on you for for the ECG. <laughs> they'd be in my trousers. They'd be stuck inside my shirt. I found one in a sock. What was he doing in a sock? Um, so I couldn't move anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere. I watched quite a bit of um, Taskmaster, actually. Which <laughs> 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 is quite fun. Um, but you can't do that all the time. And even if I was, he'd be turning around saying, well, look, this is, this is the deal. Um, during that period of time, and subsequently, because now I've suddenly realised he's got stuff to say, I do actually stop myself. It's a hard discipline, but I do stop myself. And he said, well, to start with, look, you do all the outward stuff that Christians are supposed to do. You, you go to church. I mean, at the time, obviously, we were doing stuff online, etc. But you're going to church. You're being part of a Christian community. You are carrying out work and tasks in my name. You're praying, well, at me rather than with me. You're, um, but and you and you're reading the Bible and you're doing all of this stuff and it all looks absolutely fine.
but really I'm not in here, am I? I'm not in here. You're doing, you're doing all of this stuff. And, and in fact, part of you doing all of this stuff is actually not leaving any space for you to have a relationship with me. There's me sending my son down to save you, and it's great because you were saved, and it was excellent, and, and it was those early days, goodness me, wasn't fun. It scared the life out of me. It wasn't fun, but it was exhilarating. And then I got replaced by me running around and, and, and doing this stuff, ostensibly in God's name. And he said, I'm really sorry I laid you low, but I had to do it. The only way I could get you to listen to me was flat on your face. And you can't get up because you're going to be stuck in that hotel room. Well, hotel, hospital room. <laughs> and the reason why I say that, because it was... It was like a hotel. It was so nice. And the food, I didn't choose that reading by accident about um, feeding on the richest effect. It was really good. Not tailored towards a diabetic. <laughs> lots of mash, lots of pasta, but it was really nice. Um, he said, I had to lay you low, and I'm going to build you back up again, and in the meantime... You're going to listen to me because you're not getting it. I'm, a lot of people will, will know, very good at talking. Very bad, very often at listening. But I'm also quite academic. It's my background. It's the way that I developed from a child to an adult. We chatted about C.S. Lewis the other day and I thought I'd just bring him in here because I get C.S. Lewis. I get where he's coming from because if you read mere Christianity, he comes to uh, belief in Jesus. He comes to accept Jesus into his life by way of a logical conclusion. I'm not going to go into all of the arguments, but essentially he analyzes it in a kind of academic way. And I read Mere Christianity and I went, yeah, I get, I, yes, of course, I get this. And actually, Alfred, when I was on it and when I was leading it, does a very similar thing. Why? Because Nicky Gumbel is a lawyer. And I'm a lawyer. And we look at things like that. Um, but during all of that time that I was in hospital, he not C.S. Lewis, God, was saying to me, that's great, that's really good that you understand and you accepted my only son into your life as your personal saviour, but that's not enough. Because you're losing me. You're losing me in the melee, you're losing me in the running around, and that needs to change because I've got stuff I need to say to you as an individual and actually the more he talked to me the more I was hearing him say and also I've got stuff to say to you as part of a church because I've got things I want the church your church not the church generally your church to know because I want to make change don't ask me what that change is I don't know yet 
This time he's perfect and he'll reveal it, maybe to me individually, maybe I'm nothing special. I mean, in his eyes I am, but I'm nothing special amongst the rest of you. He may reveal it to us collectively. He might choose to do something completely out of left field and the change that comes to us as a church is actually a change outside within society. Goodness me, haven't we seen changes outside within society that have changed how we do this church? And in early, late January, early February 2020, who of us was saying, oh yeah, because of course everything's going to be rocked to its very core. Um, I mentioned that while I was in there, I got COVID. <clears throat> Bless her, the nurse had tears in her eyes. I think it was because after all that you've been through, we've given you COVID. They shoved me into an isolation ward, best thing that could have happened. It was lovely. <laughs> and it was quiet. Food just as good. And there was um, just increasingly space and time. There weren't as many nurses coming to see me. The doctor would come once a day and we'd have a lovely chat and then uh, away he'd go. I'd regular visits from um, the, the chaplain, our very own uh, chaplain, regular, absolutely lovely. Time to pray and time to stop and listen within part of that prayer. That sense of calm that I hadn't known probably for years. I just hadn't known that sense of God sitting there with me. Here's the image I kept getting before the fall. I just kept getting this image of God and Adam and Eve walking through the garden chatting, just chatting about whatever. And I kept getting that image. Walk with me, come and have a chat, listen to what I've got to say. So I did. So let's do that as well. Let's take another 30 seconds. Let's just have a bit of quiet and listen. This one's really short. Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came, I ate them. There you are, food again. <laughs> Feasting on his words. 
can't do that if you don't leave time to do it. And God had given me time to do it. So I come out of hospital. Um, let's say another three weeks, a month worth of convalescence before I actually felt up to getting back and doing any kind of serious work, even just paperwork on the computer. And all of that time, he's, he's saying to me, things are going to change. Things are going to change with you individually. Things are going to change within Bethel. Things are going to change outside in the wider community. And things are going to change across the world. And you, I want to be an integral part of that. And your church, I want to be an integral part of that. And how you integrate with the community. And Beth has already, already been good, always been good at integrating within the community. How you do that, I want Bethel, the people here at Bethel, my people here at Bethel, including you, to be part of that integral change because gradually I am going to be working across churches, not only yours, but churches across this country, across Europe, across the world, to make the kind of change that I want to see. And I've got a confession to make. I have got absolutely no idea what that looks like. I've got none. I've prayed and I've sat and listened and I've got no idea because I don't think that he wants to give me the roadmap and the plan as to where we are going all in one big lump of information. Because we couldn't deal with it. That's scriptural. Can't give you all that information. You won't be able to take all of this. But it is happening. And it's going to continue to come. <clears throat> and we will be part of that, whether we like it or not. But if we're able to sit down and listen, then we don't just become part of that, we become agents of his change. That's what he wants. He wants a partnership with us. He's got stuff he wants to do. We're here as people who have him within us, in our lives. There is an opportunity if only we let him tell us where we're going. And rather than just having that C.S. Lewis intellectual knowledge, we convert that into that heart knowledge. And you only do that by opening your heart and you only open your heart to God by giving him the space to talk to you the space to feed you the space to develop your soul and that way we change individually so that we're more like his image that means that as a church Bethel changes to be more part of what he wants us as a church community to be. That means we have the opportunity to go out there and change this community. We're already doing it. We've got 
food available at a time when the cost of living crisis is only going to go, get worse. You is leading a charge on that. It's fantastic. He wants more. He wants more. And then as our wider community changes, as that happens across the board, the world starts to change. And there might be somebody, people out there, people who may or may not be Christians who say, yeah, little individual changes, what's that going to do? Little churches change, what's that going to do? Little communities that are having changes made and getting integrated, what's that going to do? Well, once upon a time, there was Jesus and 12 people. Once upon a time. Now there's not. Now we're an enormous force to be reckoned with. And he says, I want to work with that. I want to work with that. I want to make this world something more, an approximation of what I set out to do in the first place, and you, if you listen to me, can do it with me. And he will. So let's just have another few moments of reflection. Within that time, he may or may not choose to tell one or more of you or me or us collectively, actually, Here's the next step I want to take. And he may not. His timing's perfect. We don't dictate. It might be that you're walking from the bus stop to work and he stops you. What is it on? I think it's on the post alpha one where Nicky Gumbel says he's walking down the street and he's been debating taking a specific course of action. And he keeps seeing things. And one of them was a bus goes by with a Nike advert which says, just do it. And you think, he's got such a good sense of humour, God. He loves throwing stuff out. And you know what? He could have ignored that. He could have just said, yeah, it's a Nike advert. Or he could have listened. And it, actually, he listened. I think I'm learning to listen. So let's see if we can listen for 30 seconds. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for 
the words that you have given us today. I want to beg your forgiveness for the times when we don't take them in and we don't hear your words or we hear them and we don't act on them. I want to thank you for the times when we have been energised to do and to be in your image. I want to thank you for the hope that you give us that we can be part of your plan, the agents of your change. Give us that space to hear you and to listen to you and to make those changes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. A few things that sort of came to me as Stu was sharing. Uh, one was that psalm that we've all quoted and sung so many times. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The times aren't there where the Lord needs to make us lie down in green pastures. I wonder how many times I've blamed the devil or the world for times when God was just trying to <coughs> cause me to stop. And maybe that is what the Lord wants to say to someone here today. It's, I'm trying to stop you. I'm trying to catch your attention. And the other passage was from Deuteronomy that Jesus actually quoted in the wilderness, uh, that we were not designed to live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God is speaking, and it is life-giving when we hear him. It's possible, isn't it, to go through seasons where we starve ourselves, not listening. And so we're going to come to this table this morning and Stu quoted earlier that passage from Isaiah 55 where God says to the people, come, come if you're hungry, come if you're thirsty, come and feast. And I want to invite you today to come, but just in line with what Stu's been sharing, we're going to do this in silence today. Uh, who's, um, I should have checked the rotor, who's down to serve communion today? Alan and Rich, perhaps we could just be available if people can't come forward. If you just want to raise a hand, if it's difficult to move for whatever reason, uh, just raise a hand and either Richard or, or Alan uh, will uh, we'll bring it to you. But we come to this meal, this memorial that Jesus has given to us. This is his gift. We remember that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when they'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. I said, this is my body, which is given for you, broken and offered. Jesus' perfect sacrifice, paying the price for all the things that we'd ever done wrong, thought wrong, desired wrong. Jesus has paid for those on the cross if we've asked him to. And every time we do this, we declare his death, we celebrate it, we participate in all that he's done for us. This is my body.
And then in the same way, after they'd eaten together, Jesus took the cup. A cup that was familiar, a cup that was known. And yet in Jesus' words, it took on a whole new meaning, a whole new reality. That this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant, a, a new agreement, a new offer, a new relationship. Sealed in his blood, paid for with his death. Jesus is often, as you drink it, he says, in remembrance of me. What adds to that? So as often as we eat this bread, drink this cup, we claim the Lord's death until he comes. So what I want to invite you to do is to continue just listening to what the Lord has to say to you today. And then as and when you're ready, please do come. Take bread, eat and drink. And as we said, for whatever reason you cannot come forward, just raise your hand. And one of the service will bring it to you. Um, we're going to pray as we gather around this table today, and Richard's going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity we've got to come and gather in your presence this morning. Father, I thank you, God, that it's not by anything that we've done or anything that we have earned that we are here today. We come simply because you helped us, you enabled us, you made a way for us to come. You sent your son to die for us, to pay the price for our sins that we could not pay. And for that, Lord, we thank you. Thank you also, Father, that it didn't end there. We thank you that on the third day, you rose again to life, defeating death, so that we can spend eternity with you. Amen. So please come, as and when you're ready, taste and see that the Lord is good. Be still and know that he is God. Still and know that. 